you have a Bible with you, we're looking at John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. Last week, we, Brandon looked at chapter 6 last week is be, because we set the preaching schedule, and then I stuck an extra sermon in with the woman at the well, and he couldn't change, so I figured I'd just backtrack. So hear the word of God. Jesus says in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another one who bears witness about me, and I know that testimony he bears about me is true. You sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, I pray now that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would um, make Jesus abundantly clear in the scriptures, not only now, but always. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding, and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. Well, today I want to open with a question that might seem a little bit odd. The question is basically this. Imagine, imagine like I put you in a room with, with a computer or an iPad and said, hey, You've got 15 minutes to kill. You can watch any YouTube videos that you want to watch for 15 minutes. What, would, what kind would you watch? And here are your three options. Funny cat videos, political commentary, or knockout compilations. Pretty obvious choice, isn't it? Knockout compilations. What is a knockout compilation, you ask? A knockout compilation is if you watch like uh, mixed martial arts or something like that, you'll often, it'll say like the best knockouts of 2021. And, and it'll just be knockout after knockout after knockout after knockout. And it's just ama- it's a thing of beauty to watch if you're into that. The other kind of knockout videos fall under the category of what's called instant karma. Have you heard of those? 
instant karma videos are where basically you have a mild-mannered guy and he's just standing there and some big bully will come pick on him and then out of nowhere he'll just cold cock the bully and the bully's down. Instant karma. Don't pick on nerdy guys. Now, I like both of those. And when you read the text today, what we see is in some sense a theological knockout video. And on one hand, you think it's not the best of because Jesus is talking to them. or It's not just instant karma, but in some sense it's both of those. Because Jesus knocks out the Pharisees, theologically speaking, these people that are attacking him, but they should have seen it coming. Right? With instant karma videos, the bully never sees it coming. That's what makes it so funny. Is he just is all, blah, 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 and then suddenly he's on the ground. Jesus leaves the Pharisees like that, but they should have seen it coming. He spends a lot of time telling them why they should have seen it coming. And at the end, he finally delivers this knockout blow. So that's what we're going to consider this morning. Basically three things. You see, Jesus, when you consider this, the, the, what's happened so far, at the beginning of chapter 5, right, as we build up, Jesus heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. And this man, you would think that people would be excited about that. The man wasn't excited about that because Jesus probably took away his living of begging. And the Pharisees certainly weren't happy about it because Jesus healed the man on a Sabbath. Now, think about how odd that is. They weren't, they weren't excited that he healed the man. They were upset that he did it on the Sabbath. And so they came after him and they began to persecute him. Right? Remember verse 5, 16? It says, and this was... And, This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was healing people. And verse 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, basically, they come after him because he heals a man on the Sabbath, and they're persecuting him, they're attacking him, they're bullying him. And Jesus basically says, hey, the reason I can heal on the Sabbath is because God works on the Sabbath. I can work on the Sabbath. I can do whatever God does. And they're like, ho, 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 ho. You're making yourself equal with God. We need to kill this guy. And Jesus basically is like, oh, I'm not done yet. And he keeps going. Remember, he says, the reason I, I, I not only work on Sunday, because God works on Sunday, for them it would have been Saturday, um, but he says, also, I have all the same prerogatives that God has. Anything that God can do, I can do. In fact, everything that God does, I do. God has life in himself, I have life in myself. God raises the dead, I raise the dead. God judges. Wait, strike that. God doesn't judge, I judge. Because the Father has given all judgment over to me. That's a pretty bold claim. Remember what he, when he said that in verse 22? It says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, the Son does not honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In other words, Jesus is basically saying that the reason the Father has given all judgment to me is so that all of the honor that the Father gets, that I also will get. And if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. That's a pretty bold claim to make about oneself, would you not say? And a rational person would be saying, who, is, who does this guy think he is? 
Like, what, under what, by what authority does he make these claims about himself? Like, like who else would say this about him? And Jesus, if, if they asked that, would say, funny you asked. He says, if I were you, I wouldn't trust me either. Notice what he says in the first few verses of our text that we're looking at today. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I hear it as I judge, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. And so, basically, to, to put it simply, Jesus says, um, don't take my word for it. Like, I'm making all these outrageous claims. Don't take my word for it. In fact, I'm just a guy. He's not just a guy. But for the sake of argument, don't take my word for it. There's a lot of other witnesses to the claims that I make, and that's what he presents to them today. So we'll look at three witnesses in our text. And what are these three witnesses? They're basically the witness of John, the witness of works, and the witness of Scripture. So Jesus presents to them, if you want to know on what basis I make these claims, I not only make them on the basis of my own self, but I make them on the basis of the witness of John and the witness of my own works, which ultimately is the work, the witness of the Father, and then the witness of Scripture. And that's going to be the knockout blow, I think, for them. Notice what he says in verses 33 to 35. He says, you sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were really willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So if you remember, if Jesus was talking to them, he could basically say, okay, guys, remember, remember what happened? You sent, John came, and you sent someone to see him you sent a delegation to investigate him and you remember what happened you asked John John are you the Christ no are you the Elijah who's to come no are you the prophet like Moses who is to come no they knew he was a prophet they were just trying to figure out what one he was and remember in verse 35 here Jesus says you actually rejoiced in his light for a while you were actually excited that God had sent another prophet but do you remember what he said the next day? The next day, John told you what the reason for which he was really here. And what, why was he here? Notice verse uh, 29 of chapter 1. It says, The next day, he, that is John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know, did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And in the army, at this point, Jesus would say something like, and what are your questions at this time? John came, you were excited that God sent a prophet, and when you asked him, why are you here, he pointed where? He pointed to me. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
man, I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. I saw the Holy Spirit descend and stay on him. I heard God say, well done. This is my son. Believe him. And then uh, on top of all that, I wondered what my baptism was for. And God told me basically that your baptism is only with water. This is the one who will come. And he will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Right? If you remember that sermon, we look back at Ezekiel. He is the one who can bring life from the dead. He is the one who breathes life into dead bones. This is the one, Israel, that you've been waiting for your whole lives. That's what John said. That's the witness he bore about me. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says, you know, I, I don't need John's testimony to make myself feel good. In, in other words, I don't, I don't say, John, do you really think I'm the Christ? Notice what he says. He says, verse 34, he says, Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. That Jesus is reminding them of John's witness. In other words, Jesus doesn't need John to affirm him. Jesus Jesus doesn't need John's witness. Jesus uses John's witness. Jesus is saying, John pointed to me, and I'm reminding you of that so that you might be saved. Jesus, he's like, I'm not trying to just win an argument here. I'm telling you this so that you might turn from your sins and be saved, just like John told you to. And you know what? John's not the only one who is responsible to point people to Jesus. You and I are as well. That God doesn't need our witness, but he uses our witness. God doesn't need anything from us. Jesus doesn't need anything from us, but he uses our witness that as we point to people, he then draws them to himself. And our job is simply to point people to Jesus or to invite people. Remember the very first two chapters of the book of John, what you hear over and over again is come and see, come and see, come and see that Jesus uses human witness. He doesn't need it. And so, but the fact is, is that John's job and our job is to point people to Jesus. It leads us to the next witness here. Look at verse 36. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one who he sent. So, basically the works of Jesus are the Father's witness to him because of what he said earlier in the chapter, that whatever I see the Father doing, I do. And so if you want to know what Jesus is all about or what the Father is all about, just look and watch what Jesus is doing. And what are the works, the works that Jesus does throughout the whole New Testament? Well, off the top of my head, just to name a few, he heals the blind, the deaf, he, he heals the lame, he raises the dead, he walks on water, he does all kinds of miracles. Those works are God's witness to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. But I think there's more than that. There's more than just him walking on water. There's more than all that kind of stuff. It's basically also the works of Jesus involve him showing compassion and mercy on the worst of sinners. Right? It's a work of Jesus to show grace to people who don't deserve it. That Jesus was the one who was going around. And remember Acts chapter 9 says that he went around doing good. That people, that other people, that people that other people wouldn't talk to or approach or thought were unclean or leprous, Jesus approached and touched and healed. 
Jesus says, these are the works that, that bear witness to me that I am who I say I am. And not only that, his perfect life bears witness to who he is. That he lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we should have died. And then he rose again from the dead. Perhaps Jesus' greatest work that bears witness to the, that the Father bears witness to in him is his resurrection. Now the Pharisees couldn't have seen that then, at least in hindsight like we can. Jesus told them it was going to happen. They should have believed, but they didn't. But the resurrection of Jesus is perhaps his greatest work. And basically, Jesus says, the reason he knows they haven't heard his testimony, look at verse 37, the second part. He says, his voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. Jesus says that that basically you you don't know anything about the Father's witness. You don't have his word abiding in your heart. Think about this. Jesus is talking to people whose job it was to, quote, hide God's word in their heart. And he says, God's word doesn't abide in you. Nothing. You're you're not godly at all. Why? Because you don't believe in the one whom he has sent. That's how I know. In in other words, believe in the one whom he has sent, you get a lot of grace. Don't believe in the one whom he has sent, then you have to face up to, to the music. You have to face the law. And that leads to the last witness and perhaps the biggest one in the knockout blow, the witness of Scripture, verses 39 through 47. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and that is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. I I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory from that what that comes from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not, do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, I want you to notice in verse 30, 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to, about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, notice what Jesus is not doing. He's not accusing them of neglecting their Bibles. He's not saying, if, it, if, if you sinners would just read your Bible sometime, you'd know better. He doesn't say that. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, you search your Bibles, you investigate your Bibles, you dig in to your Bibles. The problem is, is you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for, you're you're trying to gain eternal life by the reading of your Bible when in fact the Scriptures bear witness of me. Are you looking for me when you search the Scriptures or are you looking for some approval from God? Are you you looking to, to be blessed by God? Right? And the, the fact is, is that reading your Bible does not equal eternal life. You know, recently, many, many of you know, I've told the story, you know, my father passed away in June and, you know, I didn't know him very well and I didn't have a great experience with him, to be honest with you. And my aunt wrote me and said, I know your dad is in heaven because he memorized so much of the Bible. And my sweet aunt, I didn't write her back and say, oh, that isn't how it works, Aunt Mary. But I remember thinking, that's not how it works. I mean, I I hope he's in the presence of Jesus, but if he is, it won't be because he memorized a lot of the Bible. 
it will be because he knew the person about whom the Bible pointed. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life and the scriptures bear witness of me. And yet you won't come to me to have life. It's almost as like if they've decided that we're not going to have him, so we're just going to keep studying for something else in here. And we think, you know, it's not that crazy. I know a lot of people who know the Bible very well who are also very mean people <laughs> and are very antagonistic and have caused lots of trouble for lots of people, and yet, man, they can lead Bible studies like crazy. And the point is, is knowing your Bible and reading your Bible is important. But it's important because it points to Jesus, not because you're going to somehow magically be saved because you know the Bible better than the guy next to you. So Jesus points that out. The other, the other problem they have is that not only are they trying to get approval from God by reading their Bible and studying and showing how diligent they are, but they seek the approval of people around them. Like, hey, Joe, check out how much, I, how much you read the Bible today. Three chapters, four when I was in college, we had, a, we had a motto in my house. I made it up. No Bible, no breakfast. I'd walk out, Scooter, how does Cheerios taste? Good. Read your Bible yet? He just pushed the bowl away. No Bible, no breakfast. But you see, what the Pharisees were doing, they tried to get the approval of other people. Jesus says that you, your problem is this. He says, he says that... I don't receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I came in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? He's talking to these Jewish leaders. How, how do you guys expect to get it when, when you're, you're looking for all this approval outside of yourself? And the thing is, you study the Bible to get approval, you let everyone else know how much you study the Bible to get approval, and the whole time you miss the only thing you need to actually have approval. If you study the Scriptures and you sought me in the Scriptures, you would realize that I am the one who comes to take away the sin of the world. And not only do I take away your sins, not only will I forgive you, but all of my righteousness I will bestow upon you. And that you will have the approval of the Father. And in fact, if you've trusted Jesus, if you're here today and you have trusted Jesus, there's nothing more you need to do to gain the approval of God the Father. You know that? I hope so. I've been saying it for 17 years. That if you've trusted Jesus, there's nothing more you can do. You have the approval of God. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to prove. And you have nothing to hide. And everything is yours. Imagine Jesus. Imagine his frustration trying to get that across to people who have spent their whole lives studying the Bible and they don't get it. They don't see it. And Jesus comes in even more. If they don't get it up to this point, he's going to really drive it home next in a way that they will never forget. Notice what he says. Finally, he says in verse 45, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now think about this. When you read through the Gospel of John, when you hear Pharisees talk anytime, they, they basically they are constantly referring to Moses. 
And Moses, remember, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the law. And it's all Moses, 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 Moses. Moses says this. Moses says that. Moses says don't believe the Sabbath or don't work on the Sabbath. Moses said that. And Jesus said, "You, you look to Moses, the one in whom you've set your hope. He's the one at the last day who will accuse you. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, I'm not going to judge you. He says, I'm not going to be the accuser. I'm not going to be the lawyer who condemns you. The lawyer who condemns you is the one who wrote the law, Moses. Because Moses was writing about me. I mean, imagine Moses' surprise when he, you know, all these people come and they say, we believe in Moses, we trust in Moses. And Moses is like, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't put that on me. I was pointing toward him. Jesus. The whole Bible points toward Jesus. And yet Jesus says, if you won't believe Moses, how can I expect you to believe me? Look at verse 47. He says, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do you hear the indictment there? Jesus is saying to people whose lives they've committed their whole lives to to knowing Moses. And Jesus says, you don't even believe his words. Because if you believed his words you would believe in me. If you understood that he was writing about me, you would believe in me. And basically, uh, when you read the Bible in, in that way, it changes everything. Let me close with this. Give, show you an example of how that changes everything. When you go into the Bible with Jesus as your sort of the, the governing presupposition that, that it's all about him. Maybe remember in 2013, I did a, a corporate communications course it was a year long it was for fortune 100 ceos and i'm the first pastor that went through it as far as i know and i get to there it is in boulder colorado and the first week i had to learn how to become a horse whisperer believe it or not it was amazing time and i got there and it was me little old me pastor tommy with ceos for major companies and at dinner that first night, it was a big gourmet dinner, and I happened to be sitting across from a secular Jewish guy, uh, his name, let's call him Joe, named Joe, he had a PhD in physics, and he was in the process of inventing a light bulb. And as I usually do, I said, hey, my name's Tommy, what's your name? Joe, what's your story? And man, he just launched off on this light bulb. And how this light bulb was going to change the world because it, it was going to use almost zero electricity and it was going to change the climate and it was going to renew all of the earth and it was going to do everything. I mean, he, he just painted this grand vision of a renewed creation. And I listened. As soon as he finished, I said, that is amazing. And he said, yeah, I know, isn't it? I said, no, no, no. I said, what's amazing to me is that you and Jesus are on the same page. <laughs> and he said, What? And I said, yeah, the whole book of Revelation is Jesus. He says some of the same things you said. That he's going to renew all of creation. And that all things are going to be made new. And and it's going to be like every, you know, all this universal harmony. That's Jesus. And he's like, hmm. And so we kept talking. And then at the end of the night, we got our room assignments. Guess who was my roommate? (laughs) Joe. And at some point in our conversations, he told me when I said, so what, what, what is so important for being a physicist? Like what's, what's important about that? Like what makes that an important job or how do you do it? And he gave me this lecture sort of on first principles that there are these, these axioms or these things that these presuppositions that you go into that govern everything else. And so we sat down in this cabin. It was beautiful. And he said, so the Bible, huh? And I said, what about it? He said, what about Genesis? You believe Genesis? 
Every scientist that I've ever talked to, and I've talked to a lot, the first question is, you don't believe Genesis, do you? And I said, well, I said, it depends on your first principles. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you think your first principle is that the Bible is a science textbook, then you read Genesis one way. And if your first principle is that the whole Bible, even Genesis, is about Jesus, it changes everything. He said, what do you mean by that? And I walked him through the whole book of Genesis that night. And he was like, Now, he didn't become a Christian, by the way, yet. However, at the end of that year, so it was a year-long program, at the end of the year, after everything we've been through, we learned how to whisper horses, we learned how to deal with people, we learned how to de-escalate conflict, we learned how to, to run major companies, we all had to stand up and give a one-sentence summary of what we were taking out of that course. And you know what Joe said? He said, I came into this course as a committed atheist. And now I'm listening to learn when it comes to things about religion. And he sat down. And I lit a cigarette. <laughs> That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I didn't. I felt that, though, in my heart. You see, when you make the Bible about Jesus, it changes everything. When you make the Bible about Jesus, it's harder to argue with. You know, if someone wants to argue about creation days, that's one thing. It's harder to argue about whether or not those creation days point to Jesus. If they want to argue about Abraham, Jesus, Moses, Jesus, Ezekiel, Jesus, name a thing in the Bible and it will point to Jesus and it changes everything. Keep that in mind. Think about that. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray this morning that you would, um, you would re-envision us for the fact that the whole Bible is about Jesus and that, that when we read our Bibles, we actually should be seeking him and that he wants to be found. In Christ's name we pray these things, amen and amen.